of your eye. Huddled in the darkest shadows of imagination, it waits. Now is the time to face the fear. Welcome to Horror Lasagna. Embrace the trepidation. So, you have a lady who is addressing the group gathered in the field. Um, she has uh, a pair of torches, and she hands one to one torch to a woman and says something in Swedish that is actually captioned this time. Yes, one of the so few I'm, times. Yeah, I'm not sure Aster really does. Just sometimes he captions, sometimes he doesn't. Just when he wants to increase the mystery, I don't know. But she says, this high my fire, no higher, no hotter. And then she hands one to an old woman and one to an old man, and she claps her hands and yells out, spirits, back to the dead. The old man and the old woman I refer to throughout the rest of my notes as the honored couple, because <laughs> they don't really have names. Right. And again, the old man was actually played by an actor who is semi-famous in Swedish circles. The rest of us don't know who he is. But we cut away to a young girl. She's fixing her red hair in a mirror. We find out her name's Maya. She's seemingly getting herself pumped up to do something. We're not really sure what it is. And then she walks out of the bathroom. And on the door, there are these runes carved in the door in this kind of square-like pattern on the inside. She leaves this barn-looking structure into the bright daylight. She was the only one in the building, and everyone else is singing and dancing. So this is our first introduction, really, to Maya. She's, like, gearing up for something. We're not really sure what it is. And there's several things like that already. Yeah. And again... Yeah, we're, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, where he introduces something, he doesn't tell you why it's important. He just says, here's this thing, and we do end up coming back to all of them finding out why and then those always seem very innocuous it's they're always like oh yeah okay great something but it's there's there's gotta be something more sinister about it but it doesn't look that way just taking out context by itself but then when we skip back to the main character and her friends they've been taking so many drugs the mushrooms the drinks who knows what's in the food and that's a question yeah. that comes up here in a bit and then it, there's always more like what is really going on it's always the from their camera point of view that the really disturbing stuff is seen, but when it's not around them, it seems normal until the end. Again, yeah. watch it more than once to pick up on some of this. For sure, yeah. Pella and his four guests, along with Ingmar and his two guests, are seated on the grass as Pella tells people that they should join the dance. Nobody actually does, but he says, hey, you guys should get up and dance. A group of kids comes running past, and Simon asks what they're playing. Simon is the British guy who came with Ingmar. Ingmar informs him they're playing a game called Skin the Fool. And as the dancers goes by, one of them kicks Christian, and it turns out to be this red-haired girl from earlier, Maya. Now, the Skin the Fool comment that comes up, actually, it's just like a passing off-the-cuff kind of thing. However, it becomes a really big deal later on, especially to Mark. But we'll get to that in a bit. 
Once Maya dances by and kicks Christian and flashes him a smile, Christian decides he wants to join the dance. And so does Josh. Um, so they get up and they leave the circle, and Pella takes this chance to tell Danny happy birthday, and he hands her this sketch that he made her as a present. On the bottom right corner of the sketch are two runes that he's carved in, that he's drawn on it. The runes are only significant because in the end, the dress that she wears at the end has the runes on the dress. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Now, I tried to to translate the runes, and it's really difficult because it seems like they're using a blend of multiple versions of Futhark for the runes. And so the ones I was looking at didn't have some of the ones that are in that show up. So I don't exactly know what those runes meant on there. Maybe it was just his signature or I don't know. Join us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He says that it's something that he does for birthdays and it's just between them. And she mentions that Christian forgot. So the sketch is amazing. And Pele looks like he's sorry, sorry for her. And she immediately belittles her criticism of Christian because that's what she does. She's like, Oh no, it's just, it's silly of me to be upset. The fact that this person I've been with for three years doesn't even know my flipping birthday. Hey, to be fair, my mother's birthday is tomorrow and I've remembered it so far. I'm not late this time. So kudos to you. Have you gotten her anything? Yeah, actually I did ahead of time. Not like that night. So well done you. Yeah. Congrats to me. (laughs) Uh, we cut to the group of foreigners. Now there's six of them and Pele and Ingmar and they're walking away. And Josh is asking how the community is supported. And we find out that the community actually makes their money via lumbering timber homeopathics and they get their power from hydroelectrics. So apparently there's a fjord, a dam on a fjord somewhere. There's a group of children sitting in a circle off to the side, carving runes, which they'll put under their pillows to dream about the powers of the runes. And you hear Mark saying, oh, yeah, I do that, too. And there's a large stone carved with runes in Elder Futhark, which is one that shows up here a lot as far as the various runic alphabets. Simon and Connie ask Danny how long she and Christian have been together in He says it's been three years, only to have her correct him and say that it's four. Turns out that Connie and Ingmar had been a thing, at least he thought they were, and she's like, no, we were never really a thing. And then she hooked up with Simon, and it's been six months, and now they're engaged. And Danny's like, much to, I'm sure, Christian's dismay. Yeah. Christian won't even look at them, and he changes the subject to asking about a building in the distance. (laughs) Now this which, building, which from for, a story standpoint, this is all interesting because it's not an info dump so much, but we get a sense of the characters and it brings in this building. So it's a good, it was a good little conversation with multiple things going on, but yeah, very it, innocuous. It all feels very conversational. Yeah. But there's a whole lot of information that's passed back and forth. And like you said, a lot of what they choose to talk about or ask about reflects their characters like directly. And it's really interesting that the first person to actually mention the building in the distance is Christian, as by the end of the movie, he's the center of the building in the distance. He, he gets so. to see the inside. Yes. It is bright yellow and triangular, and it's the only big splash of yellow you really get in this movie. Pele says it's a sacred temple and no one is allowed in. Then he's going to show them where they sleep, and Ingmar is going to show him 
something in Swedish. The camera pans back and forth. The groups back up. And Simon says, so are we just going to ignore this bear? And there's this large brown bear in a rather small cage. Connie points to something and asks what it is. And Ingmar says that they can go check it out. So they walk over and there is a mural knitted in cloth. Like yeah. needlepoint. Yeah. It depicts a ceremony where a girl sees a man she likes. She picks some flowers and puts them under her pillow and dreams of him. Then she cuts some pubic hair and puts it in his food and collects some menstrual blood. After she feeds these two items to him, he is under her spell and they're now a couple. Yeah. This is the first, we know it was going to be disturbing, but it's the first real disturbing indication. that, And it's right to left also. It's not a left yeah. to right story. But. However, it's needlepoint. So it's on both sides of the cloth. True. And they're standing on the other side of it. True. So I wonder so if there's they're reading it left to us seeing it differently. I wonder. Have to think about that. The other interesting thing is I think that's the first ever pornographic needlepoint I've ever seen. <laughs> yes, it is. All the things inside the buildings, you would expect them to be a little Greek in there. Some of the, the what's drawn, but it's really not. It's this is the yeah, and the music starts to change a little bit here, and then when the ceremonies that's coming up, it changes even more. It's been lighthearted, flutes in the meadow running through it with the fairies and stuff, and now it starts getting some ominous tones, and it keeps getting yeah. darker as the rest of the yeah, movie goes on. With the dissonance and everything, this the music the guy who directed the music here, and I should have looked him up, and I uh, apologize that I didn't, but really well done with the way he used music in the compositions that he made for yeah. this. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying I'm glad that poor dog's a stand-in for the, or that poor bear's a stand-in for the dog <laughs> in this movie. A small bear that they're ignoring in a cage. It's like, man, yeah. that sucks to be the bear. I'm sorry. Poor bear. Yeah. The bunkhouse where they're going to be sleeping is this large open barn-like structure. It's covered in painted decorations, illustrations, and runic scriptures. Everyone who walks in is just in awe of it. They're looking at all the various pictures painted on the walls. All the younger people sleep in the bunkhouse until they're 36. And Josh asks Pele why. And he points out that they mark life in four different seasons, each one being a factor of nine. Because nine is like the driving number in this movie. Zero to 18, you're children. Uh, from 19 to 36, you go on this pilgrimage where you see the world. From 37 to 54, you're workers. You're getting stuff done. And from 55 to 72, you are a mentor. You're teaching the community. Danny asks what happens at 72, and Pele makes that throat-slicing gesture, and they all chuckle. <laughs> yeah, it's not so funny here in a scene or two. No. <laughs> yeah. They're very serious about their ages. Yes. There's a lot of logistical conversations with the guys that are over there talking, and Danny kind of walks to a different section of the barn, and she's looking at these photographic portraits of the past May Queen. And she asks Pele to confirm if that's who they are, and we find that he and Christian are whispering about something. And you can tell that Pele's basically telling Christian, hey, dumbass, you forgot her birthday. Josh asks about the queens, and it turns out they're victors in a dance competition. So it's a big dance-off to pick your May Queen. 
most of them look, I don't know, you get the sense that in the past, these have all been girls of the village. They all had that blonde hair, yeah. Yeah. So we've got visitors this time, even though our main character looks very similar. And that's very important, actually. But uh, that, that was, again, where I was questioning the, hold on, they said this is every 90 years, but they all know of it, they celebrate. So that's where I was like, okay, they must have this big part every 90 years with just normal ceremonies in between. Add it in, yeah. This girl comes in and tells everyone they're watching Austrian Powers and they're welcome to join. And it's subtitled in Swedish. Which is a that weird sounds- movie choice, you would think. And you've never seen any electricity yet, but they mention watching this movie and the hydroelectrics and stuff. So it's that there's a little dissonance there in the way you feel with that. I, I can just see you going, hey, I'm showing Austin Powers on the side of the house if you want to come over. Yeah, that temple's perfect size. <laughs> yeah. The girl kind of pauses as she looks at Mark, and he automatically assumes that she's into him. Just instantly. Oh, did you see that? Did you guys see that too? He's a horny 19, 20-year-old. <laughs> yes. Christian calls Danny aside, and they go outside. There's a group of girls standing around an old woman who's holding an infant, and Danny's looking at them. And then Christian pulls this little cake with a candle in it out of nowhere. And tries to light the candle singing happy birthday. Danny seems surprised. When he does manage to get it lit, he apologizes. And Danny says it's not a big deal and blows the candle out. That's a nice metaphor for their relationship. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. (laughs) Try and light this candle over and over again. I'll finally get it lit. And you'd be like, it's not a big deal. And then just move on. Snuff it out. Yeah. There's a nice shot of the complex later in the day. It's actually at night, but the sun doesn't go down this far north this late in summer. So everyone is bedding down. There's a child crying. They put blackout sheets over the windows so you can actually sleep. They put a rattle under its pillow, under the baby's pillow. And Pela is telling his friends that tomorrow is the first of the big ceremonies. Josh wants to know what it is, and Pele says it's Atastupa. Christian tries to look it up on his phone, but he has no service. And Josh seems to know what it is, but he won't say. He's being coy. Danny can't sleep, and she's looking at the mural by her bed of a man in a frock, seeming to cut his hand under the gaze of the bright red sun. Which is interesting, because the picture, as we find out, is a direct reference to the Atastupa that's coming up. Yeah. Which she's going to watch. Now, this is the interesting thing. Because, as you point out, they said this only happens once every 90 day, in every 90 years. However, the Edestupa would have to happen every year that you have somebody who's 72. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, I think you're right about it being, we bring in fresh blood every 90 years. Yes. Which, and then, this whole story could have been retold, redone with possession and demons. The same basic thing. This is very, not innocent, but it's that veil of innocence over top of the evil and it's it makes it way more disturbing than if it was otherwise it's the same thing of putting kids in horror movies which big trend people love to do that and it's because evil children are creepy good yeah the omen we had that clear back in the day Yeah. There's another cut to being outside the next day, and there's youths folding linens, but they're actually twisting them up like ropes. 
and I'm not really sure why. I don't know that they ever actually do explain why, and maybe they do, and I just missed it. Might, might play some part somewhere, but the only thing I can think of is it, there's always something happening that's just a little off, little disturbing, not quite normal. Not uh, quite normal, yeah. So he might have just said, "Yeah, no, let's not fold them. Let's twist them." Twist him up, yeah. Yeah. Children are running, playing, and there's a group of adults doing what looks like some kind of dance or yoga thing in a group. While there's this one red-haired girl, Maya, she's standing apart looking on. The camera pulls back and we see it's Danny who's standing there taking all of this in. And behind all of this is this single acapella vocalist singing, very reminiscent of the opening scene with the dream music that got cut short by the phone call. It cuts to a large, ornately shaped table that's being prepared. The table's actually in the shape of a rune called Opala, which stands for the letter O. And symbolically, it stands for heritage or possession. And not like demon possession, like things that you own. Mark makes fun of some girls who are walking backwards, picking up, picking flowers. And he's like, those girls walk funny. Someone should tell those girls they walk funny. It's actually a Swedish tradition, and it's a legitimate tradition where you walk backwards and you pick a wildflower, and you need to collect seven of them, and they have to all be different flowers. You put them under your pillow, and the dreams will tell you who your husband will be in the future. Ah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was just another disturbing thing in the movie. (laughs) No, that's an actual Swedish custom. (laughs) If you find it disturbing, take it up with the Swedes. I think just taken with all the other things, nothing happens normal. And I think that's what we consider normal. Let me rephrase that. What we would right. in our culture. He does this really cool thing because if you've ever been, found yourself in another culture, there are times where you will feel unsettled or uncomfortable with things that are going on that everyone else finds completely normal. And he does a great job of imparting that feeling on you while you're watching this yes now this culture is a way more radical culture than i've ever found myself in but still it's that same kind of identifiable feeling that you can be like yeah i've i was in a foreign country once i felt that there because it wasn't my culture that kind of deal again that's the whole idea the horror for the season culture clash yeah yep Um, Everyone's standing at this table, and Christian, kind of under his breath, asks Pele, how long are they going to stand? And Pele gives the perfect answer. He's like, until it's right to sit. That's a Winnie the Pooh answer. (laughs) It is very zen. Danny shows up with flowers she picked for Christian and gives them to him, and they kiss each other on the cheek. And it's the first such sign of affection in the entire movie. And it might be the only one, actually. Now I'm thinking about it. There's a bell that's rung, and torchbearers from yesterday's ceremony, the honored couple, come from the direction of the Yellow Temple. Everyone else wears white frocks. These guys are wearing blue, the two of them. They come and sit at the head of the table, and when they sit, everybody else does. Josh asks if they're the ones, and Pele confirms that they are. Again, Josh with this, I've got secret knowledge, and the rest of you don't, and I'm not going to tell you. Are they the ones? And Pele, yes. The honored pair pick up their silverware and everyone gets to eat then. Mark is making eyes at the girl across the way who like pondered to like look at him for half a second the day before. (laughs) 
And Danny's having a conversation with a girl with a baby sitting next to her who's explaining that the children in the commune don't necessarily have a set of parents. They're raised by everyone in the commune. Which it, it, we've heard that many times in cultures and in the past and all sorts of things. But the way it fits in with everything else as to what happens. So you got to sometimes wonder if they even know who all the right parents are, right parents are with the ceremony and what goes on later. Uh, and I thought about that scene later in the movie. I'm like, yeah, do we know for sure who's who's mother and parent or well, mother, but father and all that jazz. So yeah. Interesting. It's always uh, like Pele always refers to all of the guys as his brother and all of the girls as his sister. And in the scene with the tree and Mark peeing on the tree, the guy's like, he's pissing on my father. And again, if the entire community are the parents, then yeah, I suppose you might not even know who your true father really is. Yeah. Yeah. The honor couple are done eating and they sit in silence for a little while. And then they stand up together and make this kind of singing noise and say something in Swedish in this kind of chanting, whispering duet the two of them do together. Um, then everyone stands, raises a glass, and after a couple drinks, after the honored couple drinks, they drink. And the scene has been pretty silent up until then. And then violins start playing at this point, this kind of ominous pulsing music. Young men in blue frocks pick up the chairs of the honored couple and carry them off, almost like a litter kind of thing. Yeah. The Americans get up, and Mark says he's going to go take a nap. Okay? <laughs> Wait and embrace the culture you're in. Danny's trying to confirm. I get the with feeling, the, though, he's hoping not to take a nap. Yes. Danny's trying to confirm what they're going to be doing next. And we cut to a scene of a man standing with all the others in their frocks. He's holding this ridiculously large hammer. Yeah, they're panning over everybody and everyone's dressed like, and then they just slowly pan past this guy holding this hammer. And I'm like, yeah, that's not ominous whatsoever there. Yeah. Everyone is standing at the base of this cliff looking up. And I'd have to guess it's, I don't know, 50, 60 feet. Oh, I was guessing 90. (laughs) Could be. This is the Atastupa. At the end of the shot, now here's the little t- the little game that Esther puts in here. At the end of the shot, there's this young man holding a horn, or it might be a staff. He looks back right down the barrel of the camera at us. Yeah. And he's got this kind of smirk on his face, and then he turns his attention back to the cliff. So this is like probably, I think it's the only time in the movie where Aster actually has a character break the fourth wall and be like, you're here for this. This part of this is on you. You're watching this. Blue frocked men are bringing the honored pair in their chairs to the cliff's edge. There's music playing in the background. It's a very long shot paired with the music. It's very luxurious shot. It, it takes a very long time. An elder holding a book. Josh approaches Pele asking what the book is. He's informed it's their scriptures. He asks if he can read it, and Pele says, no, you will not be able to read the book. The honored couple's hands are cut, and they smear their blood across two large rune-carved stones. The interesting thing to me with the stones is that the runes are in the same kind of grid pattern as the ones that were on the inside of the bathroom door when Maya was getting herself pumped up to go out. 
Um, so apparently, like, that's almost like a paragraph kind of thing or a sign, like a diamond-shaped sign that we have on the roads. You see it, you recognize it's some kind of message. The part here that my mind, and this is probably just me, I was like, okay, if they've done this ceremony before, even if it's been years, there'd be stains and stuff on that rock, but it looked pristine. So either they're very much cleaning it, or it's yeah, they missed thinking of that. <laughs> and I hadn't really given it a whole lot of thought, but as soon as you said it, my first my knee jerk reaction was, oh, they just wash it off after they're done. Yeah, but <laughs> if you don't wash blood off right away, it will stain and and stay there, and it yeah. gets harder to come out. And if they've been doing this for a long time with people, it would have stains and marks and colors. Oh yeah. Um, Danny is standing below. She's visibly doing breathing exercises you would do to control anxiety. So she doesn't exactly know what's going on, but she apparently has this feeling of what's going on. Yeah, which connects her with things. That's her anxiety. And again, I think we talked about this a bit last week. But she's got all these problems and anxiety in our culture, in our world. But then she gets here and things start to make sense to her. Yeah. Even though it's like not making sense to everyone else. Like what the hell is going on? Yeah. So you see that with her. That's, it was a good choice to make that part of her character to show it, that. It's that Dune Muad'Dib thing where he just naturally knows what he's supposed to do, even though he's not part of the culture because he's actually inherently part of the culture. Yep, exactly. The old woman stands at the edge of the cliff in this really long shot. And she seems to look directly at Danny. There's actually theories out there that the woman looks like Danny because she's actually Danny is her replacement, but Danny is like her, the yeah. younger version of her coming in as she is exiting. I didn't know that they looked necessarily that close, but still, it's an interesting theory. Yeah, and again, that's one of the things this movie does it's one of the few movies that leaves open a lot of interpretation to a whole yep. lot of things that you could theorize on. Yeah. At the last second, Danny seems to realize what's about to happen. And she grabs Christian's wrist just before the old lady flings herself off the edge. Swan, uh, just belly flop, swan dive. Like, <laughs> yes, here's the second trait of Astor's films. The slow motion bounce off of the table rock at the base of the cliff with a graphically crushed skull. Oh yeah. That was gruesome. Watching it happen was, man. Yeah. And now uh, you're he's... like, that's crazy. The music changed and now you're fully immersed. You're like, yep. Now we're like screwed up here. This is yes. not right. It might've been surreal before, but we're in a horror movie now. He's not afraid to, or you could even say he embraces showing the audience extreme, extremely gory materials like this. Birds fly. Right after the scene, there's the soul taking off, yep, yep. and the sounds mute. And he gets this iris focus on Danny's face. So Danny's face is in focus, and radiating out from that, everything is getting soft and fuzzy. Um, if you've ever passed out, it's that kind of thing where like the sound's muted, and you're getting this kind of tunnel vision kind of thing. There's a shot of Simon and Connie freaking out, and Ingmir's trying to calm them down. Even their freakout is muted you can't really hear them as loud as they obviously are trying to be and there's a woman from the community who looks back like what's their problem 
she's like confused. Why are these people upset? I don't yeah. get it. And this is our culture clash in front. Yep. But I made the note. I'm like, okay, this is very disturbing. They're visibly upset. I'm sure everyone watching it feels that way. But is it wrong? You could definitely argue that no, it's not. This is their religion, their life, their culture. None yeah. of them see this as wrong. They're doing it acceptingly and voluntarily. This is how they've always lived. Just applying our culture, pre- cultural preferences on them doesn't make them wrong necessarily. Right. In this context, the in- incoming kids are wrong by freaking out. It's their religious ceremony. So yeah, yeah. I'm not saying I condone it. I'm just saying <laughs> you can argue that it's not necessarily wrong, but that's where it fits so well with American culture. Sure. Horror movie. Yeah. Just before the end of the sequence, there's a real lovely close-up of the woman's destroyed head. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> yeah. Danny is watching Simon and Connie as Christian and Josh are figuring out that probably means the guy's going to jump next. Yeah. And Danny looks up to see the man approach the edge and watch him take the leap. Simon's on the ground and telling him not to jump. But instead of diving like the woman does, he just steps off. Yeah, I'm like, oh my god, that's the wrong thing to do if you're, oh, that's not going to be good. Yes. Sound returns. He needed to do that to show us what's coming next. Sound returns in full as the guy flies through the air, and he survives the fall, but his legs are destroyed. Yeah. And as he's suffering, as he's wailing in pain, the community members begin to wail in sympathetic suffering. They're at least psychically, experiencing what he's experiencing, and they are all responding as if it had been them who fell and just broke both of their legs in multiple places. The leader looks back at the man with the big hammer, and we find out what the hammer's for. Yep. So, amidst the wailing of the community members, the hammer is delivered. The hammer delivers a blow to the man's head by not just one member, but a second blow from a woman and a third blow from another woman. Perhaps these women. Maybe these were his daughters. Yeah, and they like they really say, they don't explain why it's these two women. Maybe they're women who really didn't like the guy. For some... <laughs> again, as this happens, the sound goes away, and as soon as the third blow is delivered, we hear Simon telling the crowd how fucked the whole situation is, and he and Connie start to wake, make their way through the crowd. Right now, here's the other thing with this scene that I was thinking about. I'm like, okay, there's two people that are seventy-two. Is there always two people or they have more sometimes? Because based on what's coming later, they very well could be controlling their community. And there's always only going to be two people every year. They Everybody's timed yeah. out, spaced out. And 72 is 18 years before the 90th anniversary. And isn't Danny 18? So it's like kids, some kids being born in the world right now when this is happening are the ones that are going to be coming back in the 90. Time or you know what I'm saying? Those yeah, get all those times to mesh up. It's hard to say for sure because there's a lot of questions on it. But I'm just like, yeah, that that seems to all work out, uh, really. I would not be surprised if there was like a whole numerology like chart that he had that he followed that we aren't necessarily pervy to. We don't know what it is, but it's there, and you can infer it as the movie goes on. Yeah, definitely. It turns out the leader of the ceremony was Grandmother Siv, and 
she is this big player throughout the community in general. She attempts to explain that this was a great joy for those two because they had reached the end of their life cycle. And as she finishes her speech, she looks right at Danny. Like, eye contact between the two of them. Yep. It turns out that historians have debunked the mythology of the Swedes practicing at a stupa. The stories came about a long time ago from Iceland, who considered the Swedes barbarous heathens. Christianity came to Iceland first and took much longer to take root in Sweden. And so the Icelandic culture are the ones who came up with this whole concept of Atastupa and were like, the Swedes practice this, those are barbarians and from the mainland. So it doesn't really look like historically this was anything that was actually practiced of having your dead throw themselves off cliffs, but it certainly is something that has always been attributed. Well, that's interesting. Ancient Just Swedish culture. That little bit of fact there, that's a culture clash too. One culture spreading the lies and rumors about the other. Right. The scene cuts to everyone leaving the Atastupa, and Danny's saying she just really needs to not be there right now. And she's wandering off, and Christian tells her, just take some time to your, for yourself. Because you can almost see the gears in Christian's head. This was very dynamic. I now have something to write my thesis about. Yes. Like, He's focused on that. And she just like goes off. He jogs off to take catch up with Josh, who's been working on his dissertation before they even arrived. But Danny just walks off to an isolated spot and kind of curls up into a ball sobbing. And she takes this deep breath and there's this cut before she even like finishes. And Christian walks in on Josh, who's busy at his laptop, capturing his fresh feelings about this thing and he's like, hey are you okay and then christian just launches into this thing about i think i'm gonna do my thesis on this community too and josh is just that's a load of crap and it's lazy and it's unprofessional and unethical and they get into it and christian's basically like i'm doing it whether you help me or not i don't care yeah so he turns out to be a dick all around <laughs> yeah to pretty much everybody it's not just danny yeah and he gets outside, and Mark is like, dude, of all the things to let me sleep through. It's like, wow, this guy, if they were going to make somebody like more stereotypical late teen American boy kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know that they could have done it. All well, he had to he do was have a really gun well. on him. Yeah. Um, Christian looks over and sees a small group working on what looks like a down pine tree, and one of them happens to have long red hair. It's Maya. She's always there in the background for Christian. Yeah. Now we cut to Josh, and he's making his case to Pelly, who informs him that he doubts the elders will approve anything being written down. Josh is like, I'll do everything as an alias. Problem solved. And then Pelly points out, you can't actually have peer review if everything's alias. How can anybody review what you've said because they can't actually go and experience the, themselves? And he said he'd already talked to Christian about this. And Josh is puzzled because apparently Pele said he hadn't spoken to Christian. So it catches Pele in a lie here. And that little bit right there makes it sound like Pele was telling everybody what they needed to hear to get them to come to this. Which is what you always picked up on every time you talked to Danny. Every time. Yeah. Yep. Pele relents and he says, I'll ask the elders about it. And it might have just been out of frustration at the fact that he'd screwed up his lie, really. But 
Danny's in the bunkhouse. She's packing her bag. Pelly comes in and she's saying she needs to go. And he apologizes for her even having seen the Atastupa. She says, I don't know why I'm here, Pelly. And he rapidly crosses the room and asks her to sit with him. She relents and she's trying to fend off of panic attacks. She's like, I'm not even an anthropologist. And he says he is most excited for her to come. And he tries to give her some homeopathic plant based huffing type thing. She's not interested. He says he knows what she's going through. And she's like, I don't even know what I'm going through. And she's like, that's not it. And he said he lost his parents. They were burned up in a fire, which is an interesting thing to throw in here, seeing how the film ends. He and, says he, and you know, the, the temple also, I thought about this afterwards. I'll mention it now. Um, all the buildings they live in and work in look well-used, old, constructed. Temple with the yellow and stuff looks shiny, brand new. and, and Brands making new. Yeah. So that's significant also. Yeah. Uh, in there. Again, but it's not brought out in a very strong way. There's a lot of subtlety that you don't pick up on, which I love. I love the movies that make you have to pay attention and think. Yeah. He says he never felt lost because the community rose up to raise him as his family. And it's kind of a soft sell that he's giving her right now. He's, you know, look, this is great. He says she deserves better. And she says she has Christian and Pele just comes right out and says, he's really not good for you. And then he says, does this, does he feel like home to you? And by this point, they're actually holding hands, the two of them. And then you cut from this lovely tender moment to a scene of two mutilated heads of the honored couple as they're being slid out over an open fire pit and the community stands around them reverently as their bodies are cremated. Yeah. Oh my gosh. First of all, that's not going to smell great in that little community, (laughs) but I'm like, that fire can't be hot enough to get rid of bones and stuff. They don't actually clean it up until the next day. So apparently it's a slow roast. (laughs) There's hints of what they do with it though. Danny is now sitting in the grass alone. We cut from that scene to her sitting in the grass alone and Christian walks up to her, but he doesn't sit next to her. He just asks if she's okay. She asks if he's okay with what he saw, and he starts to justify it as a cultural difference. And she seems a little bit aghast at the concept or even the fact that he's seeing it that way. Yeah. But he's he's making his mind up, too, because he wants to write about it. So yeah. He he's justifying trust. it. Yeah, you can't trust what he's saying. Yeah. We catch to the bunkhouse at night. Josh and Christian obviously aren't speaking to each other. Danny asks Josh if he has a sleeping pill, which he does. I got medication. There's drugs everywhere. She ends up laying down, and then she wakes up in the middle of the night. And she sees people sneaking out. And she, like, follows them. And it's dark out, which automatically lets us know that something's up, because it doesn't really get dark. A car comes up the driveway, and Christian, Mark, and Pele are in it. And she's yelling for them to stop. She opens her mouth for them to stop, because Mark like looks back and he like looks happy that they're leaving her behind. She opens her mouth to yell at them, and this black smoke rolls out of her mouth instead. Not unlike, I don't know, car exhaust, if you force it down your lungs with a tube. And then the shot is done in slow motion, and it's interspersed with quick shots, which again. Knowing me, i got to slow them down and see what everything is. And there's shots of the honored couple's heads being destroyed. Shots of Terry and 
her mother and Terry with the hose taped to her mouth and her mother and father's bodies lying next to the Estupa table rock. There's a shot of the destroyed heads reversing back together. Yeah. Which is kind of weird. And then we see her and she's actually sleeping in the bunkhouse. So this is all going on in her head. This is a dream. PTSD dream. Across the way, we see Maya is holding a rune-carved stick. She had been carving it earlier. She crosses over and slides it under Christian's bed. Josh is awake and sees the whole thing happen. The next day, it's late in the morning and someone's making beds. You can see, if you pay attention, Danny is actually still asleep in her bunk, but the rest of the place is empty. Outside, members of the community are collecting the ashes from the honored couple and spreading them on a downed dead tree. It's a big tree. It's dead. It's been dead for a while, and it's just laying there. There's a small group singing and chanting around a wooden sawhorse, which they smash with axes as the song hits its crescendo. Again, not explained, but as you point out, Steve, a very nice disturbing thing to just throw in the background. (laughs) Here's a random act of violence. They're practicing to see who gets to hold the hammer next time. Yeah. (laughs) Pelly's trimming herbs. Josh and Mark are headed that way, and Josh is asking about the paper, and Pelly tells him the odor said it's okay, as long as he keeps everything anonymous and shares with Christian. While they're talking, Mark says he has to take a leak, and he wanders off. Right. Josh asks about this carved piece of wood that Maya put under Christian's bed, and he hears that it's got a love rune to cast a love spell. Christian comes to hear the good news that they get to do the paper and Pele informs him that his sister Maya has taken a liking to Christian and is of legal consent age in the community to have sex. Just throwing this out here for you, Christian. My sister likes you and she's old enough to bang. Full disclosure. (laughs) Yeah. Christian doesn't really seem, he doesn't really seem to take that in a great way. He's not like, Oh, awesome, or I'm honored, or anything like that. He kind of like brushes it aside. But it brings back also when they were, the friends were talking at the beginning, whichever one of them told Christian, you need to get a girlfriend that actually likes to have sex. So yeah. just another little wedge between him and Danny. Pele at one point in time says to Christian, think of all the Swedish girls you can impregnate. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that's, yeah that, that's a weird way of putting it, but it fits the rest yeah it's a, yep. i hadn't realized that one yeah right around then we hear some yelling in swedish and it is subtitled for us they're yelling at mark because he's peeing behind the tree with the ashes on it um it's a sacred tree the guy who's screaming is these are our ancestors you're pissing on my people and the guy is mad he is Pele is trying to explain that it was an ancestral tree and all mark can say is i didn't know so there's this long slow build that like drives for all of the characters right like the christian and danny relationship it wasn't great at the start but as the movie progresses more things just keep jabbing them apart christian's wandering aimlessly and now he's becoming more and more focused as the thing goes on josh is being becoming more obsessed with writing this thesis paper and mark is constantly being driven to the point of feeling uncomfortable. Like he's super comfortable king of the hill when he's in the States, but as soon as they're in the woods, he's worried about ticks and bugs. And now he's made this giant Swedish enemy 
who like he's constantly worried is looking at him and that girl did she give him the eye or didn't she he doesn't know so he actually is becoming more and more, he's falling apart basically yeah. as the movie goes on yeah it, it, okay so it's interesting you say that because thinking about it we don't see it really yet but danny has the exact opposite character arc it's like they're again showing the cultural differences and what happens in the different cultures for depending on who you are yeah she's very unsettled at the start and by the end she seems to embrace her new role so yeah yeah back it's she's going in reverse of everyone else we get to connie she's walking purposely across the yard she's headed to the bunkhouse she's in there grabbing her stuff one of the elders comes along calls her name and she comes out quickly ready to go like her packs on her bag ready to go he informs her that simon left for the train station already and once the truck gets back they'll pick her up and take her so she can meet him there and she is not having this she has a million questions for the guy and he has an answer an excuse for every single problem she raises about this and the only thing i'm as a movie watcher going yeah okay he left her oh god that's not good at all we're watching a horror movie that's never a good thing yeah danny sees the whole exchange connie says it's bullshit and she storms off danny goes to tell christian about it but he's in the middle of interviewing one of the members about how worker roles are assigned in the auto anthropology crap right uh he seems to be slightly concerned about simon's miss disappearance for just a second or two and then he goes on to ask the guy about incest in the small in this small community like just completely skips right over her concerns yeah which he's done the the whole movie yeah now the guy interestingly enough his answer again just a background conversation because we're focused on danny in the scene but the guy says that the elders determine who gets to hook up and they actually chart this stuff and they keep really close track and it's almost like a farm breeding campaign you're picking the best stock and things like that which again goes back to the whole bringing the outsiders in and the 90 year cycle and they're eight yeah 72 to eight yeah yeah there's all these little pieces fit together in ways you don't think about right away and in the background we can see the guy who's angry at mark is still being consoled by people he's still upset by this thing that happened danny's wandering past the cooking hall and here's where i mean everything up till now you could say like i said was a soft cell indoctrination this is where the hard cell comes in oh yeah danny's walking past the cooking hall and one of the sisters in a crazy friendly manner invites her in to help and then she comes in and asks the sister if she'd seen simon anywhere and she holds to that same line that oh he went to the station ahead of the time when Danny's in there, the rest of the crew is so nice, super complimentary. She starts to feel good about hanging out with him. They give her her own little apron, and she's like, jumps right in, and she's having a good time. And so, what are we making? Oh, we're making meat. That's just all they say is meat. I'm like, yeah, that's not a good answer. <laughs> it's the language barrier, Steve. Oh, okay. Not to mention <laughs> that the cinematography thing of, Simon's missing. We're making meat. Simon's missing. We're making meat. And come on, Texas Chainsaw Massacre going on here. Then, at the scene closes with Maya walking past with a special pie, which she sets on the counter as ominous music starts to play. Josh, the music has changed. Yep. <laughs> the innocent scene does not have the nice music anymore. 
Josh is with one of the elders in this black painted room looking at the scriptures. This is where they keep the scriptures. You can see there's just rows and rows of bookshelves on the sides just jam-packed with these things. Now, this scene right here, just when it was going on, I'm like, really? With all the vague answers they're given, all the things, and but they're showing them like these sacred scriptures and the most the deepest parts of it. At least he's, they're telling them about it, not sure what they're saying is true. But I'm like, why would you do that? Oh, God, he's not leaving. That was what went through my head. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and when Pella comes up later to tell the two of them about their studies, it's the same thing. It's, oh, man, it doesn't matter because they're not leaving. I'm, yeah. It starts to really become obvious at this point with all this type of stuff going on. <laughs> the stories that they weave are so intricate and almost ridiculous. And you're like, that would never stand up if you wait a day or two and think about that, that wouldn't make any sense. But it doesn't matter because you don't get a day or two. But they're also getting drugs with everything they eat and drink. You know, yeah. so who knows how screwed up their minds are? They don't. They always show Danny with cinematography tricks how she's feeling, but they don't do that with anyone else. That's really a focus on her. So, yeah, but I'm like, oh, man, if they're telling you the secrets to an outsider, it doesn't matter. Then start running. You're yep. in trouble, man. <laughs> He's looking at the scriptures and he notices that the back have blank pages. And it turns out the scriptures are constantly being added to. And Josh asks who decides what gets added. And it turns out that Reuben, the disfigured-faced boy we glimpsed earlier, is the one who comes up with it. Reuben being disabled is, as they say, unclouded by normal cognition, making him open to the source. He draws pictures, and the elders interpret these into new scriptures. And it turns out that Reuben, like all of the oracles, are products of specifically planned inbreeding to keep them unclouded. So they're specifically inbreeding to make these oracles, basically. And that's a common thing. The ones that aren't the norm in society are closer to God or the messengers. That's a pretty common type of thing. But how they get them, that's very ominous here. (laughs) It is. And then Josh, of course, like almost the end of every scene, Josh could just be saying, can I take a picture? The guy's like, what? No. <laughs> Can't take a picture. I'll tell you everything, but don't take a picture. But actually, he probably could have let him because it's not going to matter. The interesting thing is that when he says that, we've rounded a corner. And you can tell we've rounded this corner because it cuts from there to Danny in the kitchen pulling a pie from the oven. And she just stops and looks up like she heard something but there's nothing like intuitively. She knows something has now changed. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Yep. Mark is walking in front of the yellow temple and he stops and looks up again. We don't know why, but then he spots the girl who made eyes at him earlier and he waves at her. And then he's convinced she's walking away and he turns away. So he doesn't see her turn and look back at him just as the call for dinner comes up. You have four Americans and you have four visitors sitting at the Opala table instead of six. They're waiting. Sorry. The table layout changes every time we see it. It's a different, it was interwoven triangles. It was just a big L like it changes every single time we're there. The runes. Yeah. It's it's progressing. Yeah. That'd be really interesting if you like it spelled something out. Yeah, that would. Yeah. I didn't think of that. 
Well, it um, might in Runic. Yeah. They're waiting for the food to be delivered. They all have glasses of lemonade in front of them. But if you look, Christian's lemonade is a little more pink than everybody else's. Yeah. They have this nice shot of it going down the table. of yellow, 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 pink, yellow. It's not drastically pink, but it's definitely got a little bit of red tint to it. Yeah. Yeah. In the background, just out of focus, you can see that Maya is on the other side watching him. It's a soft focus, so the camera never points her out. But if you're looking at her, you can tell she's looking at him the whole time. Pies are delivered. And here's where we see that everything is falling apart amongst these groups, right here at this dinner. Danny asks if anyone's seen Connie. And a guy sitting next to them says, oh, he drove her to the train station. I can assure you this is true. <laughs> it's like this awkward lie ever. It doesn't hold true for Danny, but Christian's blown her off completely. She says that she can see him just leaving her there. And he's like, what'd you say? And the guy who was upset at Mark is sitting across the table, glaring at Mark. Josh asks Christian about what he's learned, and Christian gets mad at him for wanting to collaborate now. Yeah. So you have the four friends in one frame, and there's so much tension between them, none of them, they might as well be isolated. They might as well not be sitting next to anybody. Which is something that cults do. They get you separate and then move in. Christian decides he's not even waiting to eat to take a bite out of his pie. And the camera zooms in as he pulls a hair out of his mouth after he takes a bite. Mark makes a big deal out of it, saying it's a pube. Both Christian and Danny look down at Maya as the camera pushes focus both times. He finishes the scene out by taking a swig of his menstrual fluid laced beverage. Yeah, very squirmy going, squirmy in your seat watching. Josh, on the other hand, is looking over his notes. Mark's stewing over the brother who wants him dead, and the girl he's been obsessing over comes over and asks him if he will come. She will show him, she says. And he says yes and repeats it. I'll be back. She's going to show me. Josh never even looks up. We get a hard cut of the darkened bunkhouse where Josh is in the exact position he was earlier. Danny asks him for another sleeping pill. He gives it to her, and then he lays down, but you note he has his shoes on. When the rest of the bunkhouse is quiet, he sneaks out into the twilight midnight of the midsummer and heads to the holy place of the scriptures. He heads in, walks to where the scriptures are being kept with his phone, and starts to take pictures of the pages. There's a mirror on the back wall, and you can see the door to the structures open, and this figure comes in the reflection. He sees it too and turns around upset because he's convinced it's Mark, And Mark's followed in there, and he's worried that Mark will blow his cover. The first thing I thought when I saw it was, oh my god, it's Michael Myers. Because it kind of looks like him, right? Speaking of The hair is all disheveled. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The enlightened one is actually sleeping on a cot by the door, and we notice that Mark looks odd. For starters, he's not wearing any pants. Yeah. Which is a strange thing, just walking around full Monty. Josh is contemplating this uncanny valley he's looking at, And then someone hits him from behind with the Astupa hammer. We get a close-up of Mark, and we see it's not really Mark. It's just Mark's face. Yeah. But it's been skinned, and someone's wearing it. Yeah, more disturbing all the time. (laughs) Yes, yes. And now we go back to that. What game are they playing? The Skinned Fool. Yeah, and he was the fool the whole time. Yes. You would think that the creepy violin music would have let Josh know that something was up, but Josh missed it. Missed that cue. (laughs) He missed those pages in the script. 
Yes. And now it's just Danny, Christian, and Pella at breakfast. And Danny asks if they think Mark is still off with the girl, and Pella's like, oh yeah, probably. Don't ask too much about Mark. She asks about Josh, and Christian blows it off since he's pissed off at Josh right now. Then one of the elders rises up and says, the 19th book of the Rudy Rador is missing. Those are the scriptures. He says he doesn't want to point fingers, but he's asking for whoever took it to please return it. As the couple, now it's just a couple, take their dishes up to be washed, the elder approaches them, and Christian basically just starts off throwing Josh under the bus. He's a horrible person. I had nothing to do with it. I don't want anything to do with it. And the guy's like, Mark's missing too. He's like, Mark wouldn't have anything to do with that. This is all just Josh. Josh is a horrible person. And them saying it's a 19th book, is that every time they do this ceremony, it's a new book? So that would make it like 1,710 years or something something like yeah. that. Yeah. That would be my guess is that it's every 90 right. years. So they're working on the 20th time. Yes. Oh, yeah. Pella goes off to look for the missing compatriots. Danny is going to go hang with the women. And Grandmother Siv wants to see Christian in her house. He checks with Danny to see if she's okay before heading off. Not really because he wants to check with Danny, mostly because he wants an excuse to not have to go talk to the very severe Grandmother Siv. Now we cut to this mortar and pestle. They're grinding up plants. These plants get dumped into a big glass bowl, stirred violently. I mean, it's a very violent stir with water, and then it's labeled into cups. The cups are handed out to women in dresses with flower crowns on their heads. Danny is in this line. She's decked out with the rest of them. She's wearing the white dress. She's got the flower crown. She gets a glass. She's with her friend from the dining hall. And there's this whole ceremony to drinking it. The lady's going to hand you this glass. Look her in the eye when you take the glass. Yeah, and it's and a then creepy we, look. Stepford yes. wife look going on. Once she does and she drinks it, her friend hugs her tightly and she's like, oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's it does have this whole kind of roller coaster ride feel to it. Clear up until this point, we've just been going up. And now it feels like, yep, we're on the downside. We're moving. And Danny fits right in. She's, this is her, you can tell, this is her place. This is her thing. Her issues are lessening and she seems happier. And so. Yeah. We cut to all of the women in concentric circles around the maypole and the bands off to one side. And the rest of the community is sitting on the ground watching. So why is it the women dancing are getting tired and falling through this, but the band plays forever? Man, those people don't stop. They're They're musicians. Yeah. Any excuse to get in front of a group. Hey, man, they like us. They're digging it. Keep going. The dregs and the tea are starting to kick in as Danny's feet start to grow grass. Again, she's taking root in the community yep. this way. Yeah. And Has from Bob here on out. Have you seen this movie? I feel Bob would love this movie. I don't know, but he definitely should. If you haven't seen this, Bob, you should definitely watch it. Yeah, you would enjoy well, this. Yeah. Watch Heredity 2. You're going to love Aster's work. Aster keeps dropping in these hallucinogenic effects. Throughout the movie, to the point where you're not even aware they're going off anymore, which is up until the end when he he very, I don't want to say unconsciously, you might not realize it, but he stops all of the hallucinogenic effects by the end. So what's happening at the end is concrete. Everything else, you got to sit there and go, is it the drugs or what? 
there's this story told before the dance starts. <clears throat> and the dance is an analogy for when the Dark One lured the youth into the grass and made them dance so they couldn't stop until they died. So in defiance of them, they will dance until they fall. The last one standing becomes the May Queen. And they all bow, except Danny, who doesn't know she's supposed to bow, making her stand out from all the rest. And then the dance starts, and she really, like you said, she seems to really be enjoying it. We cut from that crazy cacophony to the silence of a mural painted on the wall. And in the center frame of this mural is a bear roaring in the middle of a bunch of flames. Christian sitting in a chair before it, just studying it, looking at that painting. Siv opens the door and invites him in. Inside, there's tons of pictures painted on the walls, two chairs. Christian sits in one and Siv in the other. He is obviously uncomfortable, and he yeah. starts by saying he has no idea where Josh is. She cuts him off. Man, it's Bart Simpson. <laughs> yeah. She cuts him off and asks how he feels about Maya. He's confused, and Siv tells him that he's been approved to mate with her, and he's an astrological match. He leaves the building and looks across the way at the dance going on. So we never really get to hear what his answer to this is, but not unlike when Pele brought it up, he seems to be running away from it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Danny is still in it, and she's having a ball. They stop the music and some fall and are pulled out, then the dance starts again. Christian walks by and sits on the ground to watch, and Maya ends up following, falling and stumbles pa over past the watchers. Danny's in the final eight, and Christian won't even look at her. One of the girls brings him a glass with this special drink. He asks what it does, and she doesn't really lie. She's it's good, it'll make you see things clearly, it'll give you energy. She fails to mention that it'll give you a really bad trip, too, if you're in a bad headspace. <laughs> I think the whole thing is a bad trip, but <laughs> yeah, he keeps looking down at Maya and he's sitting next to Pelly and then he drinks it. Danny's still in it. She seems to be working at it, but still having fun. And cinematographically, everything starts to blend together. Eventually with the exhaustion and the drugs, she finds herself able to speak Swedish all of a sudden. As she's contemplating this, the final two competitors run into each other and fall over, making Danny the winner. She is the May Queen. Which, again, brings it really strongly to the she's home, she's in her rightful place. And it, I also thought it could be interpreted as when they go out, they're finding the people, the lost souls or something that should have been in the community. Ooh. Or even when they die and their souls go elsewhere, the 18-year thing, they're dying as others are being born. And their souls are entering them. So 18 years from reincarnation it, kind of thing. Something like that. Yeah. Again, interpretation. If you yeah. think of what the possibilities are. All the dancers and the youth crowd around here, newly crowned. And there's a photograph taken. There's one flower in her crown that is sometimes referred to as her heart flower because it pulses throughout the entire next section of the film with her heartbeat. And it's really subtle. Yeah. So like she's just finished dancing and so her heart rate's up. And so this flower is just like going like this really fast. Later on, it's much more subdued as it slows down. Like it follows her breathing and stuff. It's this cool little subtle thing that he throws in there. The entire community is crowded around Danny and Christian is standing by himself in front of the maypole. Now the entire community walks past her and congratulates her. 
And it's noted somewhere that one of the townsfolk who congratulates her is played by the actress who played Terry. And so she sees her sister basically come up and congratulate her. And then she sees her father and her mother actually seems a little annoyed when she goes past. Um, and then Pelly comes up and gives her like a real kiss. Like I'm not being coy. I'm not being flirtatious. We're going to kiss now. Because yeah, he Face doesn't call it sisters. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, somebody's got to make an oracle. <laughs> that should be a t-shirt. Somebody needs to make an oracle. If we ever meet the director, we'll give him a t-shirt. That says there you that. go, yeah. Some guys bring out a litter, and they carry her off while singing. During this parade is one of the famous hidden Terry shots. Aster has hidden pictures of Terry with the tube in her face throughout the movie. And this is one where it's in the trees in the background. The trees are overlaid. You really have to know it's there or Uh, know to look for it or you won't see it at all. But it's there very subtly. Um, They take her to a decorated ornate table with a feast. She sits at the head of the table and everyone else is standing there watching her. And when she sits, they sit. Just like with the honored couple. Yeah. Everything hinges on when she wants to do it. She's sitting in this plant-themed throne. And the vines and flowers are all writhing around as she's sitting down. Christian awkwardly takes a seat at the table. And he's obviously not having as good of a trip because he looks like he's just about to fill his pants. Yeah. When Danny picks up her silverware, everyone starts to eat. And everyone else, everyone except for Christian, who's really not going to eat because he doesn't really feel like eating. They try and get Danny to eat an entire pickled herring tail first. Apparently it's your tradition. If you can get it down, it's like super blessings for this next season. Which is she so, can, this is so weird because that seems so normal after all the other stuff. And they're very casual about it. They're laughing. So it's almost like it, it, it really is just a tongue-in-cheek old tradition that we just do. Whereas all this other disturbing stuff is very serious throughout the whole movie. This reminds me of a wedding reception. If you're marrying into yes. kind of an ethnic culture. Yeah. Absolutely. Where you go to the reception and they they pull out all the various traditions from whatever cup. culture. <laughs> yeah. And they you're doing the chicken dance and yeah. that kind of thing. She gives it a shot. Kudos on her for trying. But she can't do it. She just spits it out. There's this old man sitting next to Christian. And Christian timidly asks what's going on. And the guy seems annoyed and claps his hand in Christian's face which sounds to us like almost like an explosion. Yeah. And Christian flinches like a beat dog. He's really out of it too. Yeah. He's got the wide eyes and the the vacant stare. And yeah. Everyone raises a glass and cheers the May queen. And they inform her that she's in the family. Now Christian looks across the table and sees Maya who gets up and gives him this whole kind of come hither look. And Danny notes it. Pele is sketching her in May Queen outfit, and Siv says she has to go and bless the crops. She asks if Christian can come with her, and Siv says, nay, the May Queen must ride alone. They give her a torch, and she gets into a coach, which is pulled by several Swedish girls. And off they go. I want a coach pulled by Swedish girls. <laughs> wow, that sounds really bad. <laughs> it does. When she's out of sight... A girl with a basket of flower petals makes a trail that leads right to Christian. 
Danny, in the meantime, is there ceremoniously blessing the crops by burying a pile of seeds with a hunk of meat and an egg. And they give her a torch, and she and another girl do this dance and sing a song, which she seems to magically already know. Yeah. So that that gave me thinking again, was she always really a part of this community? That's why she had problems in the outside world, because she was in the wrong place, wrong culture, and she had to come home. She was drawn home. I don't know. I have, on occasions in my youth, I would maybe drink a little too much. And I, at one point in time, was sitting with a friend of mine who spoke Italian, and I spoke French, and we had both had far too much to drink, and we held an entire conversation between the two of us in the other foreign languages, and it seemed to us that we understood exactly what the other guy was saying. So I can almost relate to this weird thing, where if you're in an adult state, everything seems to make sense to you. Sure. Yeah, that's true. Again, interpretation. Yeah. Christian, in the meantime, is in a frock or a robe in one of the buildings, and one of the elders opens a small iron cauldron and has him breathe in the fumes for his vitality. Now he has a new look on his face. He doesn't look all bad tripped out. He's got drive on his face. And one of the other elders opens a door to let him in, and inside, this is the scripture building, turns out. Maya is lying on a bed of flowers, naked, surrounded by a dozen other female members of the community in all stages of life, naked, and they're all humming this little song. This becomes like one of the most disturbing sex scenes <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Shoot, the very first movie on my list, it's about a vampiric baby. I can't think of the name of it, but it's got some doozies in it, too. <laughs> wow. One of the naked ladies takes his robe from him, and then the addict bounces between Danny and Christian back and forth. So you're back to Danny. She's still blessing crops as Christian is awkwardly having sex with Maya. Then she reaches out. Maya reaches out for one of the other women who comes in close and sings a little song to her. The I mean, Christian, on Christian's face is priceless right yeah, there. <laughs> it freaks him out a little bit because yeah. there's this woman standing right there. He manages to keep going. <laughs> Good on him, even though she is staring him in the eyes. Yeah, at least it's his eyes. My eyes are up here. <laughs> yeah. They start this weird call and response thing. And the thing that struck me worse was that the Oracle was still in the room, lying on his cot, watching as this is going on. Which has got to be, I think it's uncomfortable for Christian. Think about that poor guy. When they get back, Danny is supposed to go to Civs for a special blessing, but instead she heads to the scripture building. She takes off her crown, and it looks like she already knows what she's going to see. She braces herself and looks in the keyhole, and turning, she gets, she looks through. She turns away. She's gasping for air. She stumbles, vomits, and wails. Other girls come and get her up and move her away to the bunkhouse, and they do that whole communal grieving thing, where she is grieving, and so they're all going to grieve with her with the same intensity yeah. because they feel her pain. It cuts to a wall illustration showing the May Queen surrounded by a court of six watching a fire burn several times they go back, come up. yeah they go back to a sex scene and in the sex scene there's communal cries going on with the women in the room and their cries match danny's cries in the other building and they're actually just trying to get christian to finish up they're like tick tock buddy let's go yeah 
to the point where one like gets behind him and starts pushing. I mean, yeah. talk about, and he's looking around and dude, how, he's amazing. At this yes. point. <laughs> Power of drugs. Yeah. As soon as he finishes, Maya rocks back and holds the loving in. She says she can feel it. She can feel the baby growing in her now. And he runs out of the building naked. Originally, he wasn't supposed to be naked, but the actor actually is, look, so many horror movies have women running around naked. I think it's only fair that we give equal time. And so the actor chose to run naked through the village. Wow. Power to him, man. Yeah. He's just running aimlessly. He gets to the garden and finds the lower half of a leg sticking out of the ground. He runs into a nearby shed and finds Simon strung up in Blood Eagle style, which is a Viking means of execution where they sever the ribs back by the spine, like three of them, so they can pull your lungs out through the hole and string them out like wings. That's Um, pleasant. Yeah. So it would seem that Simon's actually still alive. He's got flowers where his eyes should be, and then his lungs breathe. Which would have to be a hallucination because your lungs don't work that way. They can't breathe on their own. That's why you have a diaphragm. But as Christian is inspecting this mess, one of the elders shows up and blows a powder in his face. He's out. Yeah. So guess what? Disturbing things were happening. We've just found them all. Go figure. The next thing we know is that scene I was talking about. There's this Swedish woman calling out for Christian, and she manually opens his eyes, but we're looking out like we are Christian. Yeah. She seems super nice, and she informs him, you can't speak. You can't move. Do you understand? He can't speak. How's he going to tell you if he doesn't? (laughs) Right. She steps back to stand with the rest of the commune, and Danny now sits in the throne in a massive flower dress with a flashy flower crown. She doesn't look happy. Maya looks really happy. Maya's standing there. Her face is all done up. Ziv is explaining that they will sacrifice nine people, four outsiders, four from Halga, and one chosen by the queen. Two of the four from Halga are wooden statues representing the honored couple, and two are volunteers. Ingmar is one of them. Yeah. Ingmar has volunteered for sacrifice. For the ninth, they draw numbers and pick one person from the community. And then she gets to pick between that person or Christian. Tulbjorn gets picked. He steps forward. We don't really know him. He's just some guy. And Christian, in his wheelchair, since he's paralyzed, is wheeled next to him. And the camera is on Danny's face as she glares at Christian. And the camera zooms in on both of them. And the flowers aren't pulsing anymore. She is no longer under the influence of drugs. She is thinking clearly, although from the looks of her face, she's upset. Yeah. And, we don't and actually... Her transformation's complete at this point. Yes. She is part of that community. Yes. There's a part two. She's going to be jumping off that cliff because she's... So. <laughs> She'll be 72. Yeah. Yeah. They never actually say who she picks, but we do get to infer it here. It cuts Sukani being brought in a wheelbarrow, she's soaking wet. So apparently they drowned her. Apparently there's a pond in one of the scenes I missed. Well, hydroelectric, so um, uh, somewhere. But that's where she was. She was drowned in a pond. The skinned fool is a scarecrow that's brought in. So they've basically taken Mark and stuffed him into a scarecrow. 
And there's an interesting shot when they're back in New York where he's standing there talking to somebody. And in the background on the fridge is a photograph of the Scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz. So, again, Aster's just basically telling you what's going to happen at the start of the movie if you know how to look for it. And we get to see inside the Yellow Temple. And it's really just an empty space with straw floor and straw bales placed around. Already inside is Josh, who has his studies crumpled up and stuffed in his dead mouth. and Simon who's there with his flower for his eyes. The Honored One statues are next, and then out in the shed, the children of the village are taught how to properly skin a bear. I guess they just disembowel him, though, because he still looks mostly like a bear when they're done with him. They disembowel him to make room and stuff a paralyzed Christian inside of him. The part where they're showing him, it's passing on the knowledge of the community. It's all normal and accepted. Just like how to string a bow and shoot it. Yep. This is how you do this. Yeah. Which again makes it very disturbing because it's. Yeah. It normalizes it. Exactly. You're showing this from yeah. a young age. So, yeah. sure, this is what happens. For Ingmar and the other volunteer, they put him in there and they offered them the sap of the yew tree. And to one of them, he says, This will cause you to feel no fear. And then he puts it in his mouth. And then the other one, he says, This will cause you to feel no pain. And he puts it in his mouth. Then guys come in with torches and light the place up, and then they walk out. As it burns, Danny and the community look on. The not funny part, there's this part where the guy who was supposed to feel feel no pain looks over, sees that he's on fire, and starts to scream. So the you will feel no pain thing is a lie. And then Ingmar, who's sitting next to him, sees him on fire screaming, and then he starts to scream because he's scared, meaning that you will feel no fear is also a lie. Yeah. Everything religion tells you is a lie. Yeah. That's a little subtle message. <laughs> yeah. Once you're actually where the tires meet the road, the music is uplifting. It's this amazing overture that's playing in the background. As people inside start to scream, the community outside again, sympathetically starts to scream and wail and almost like dance as they're like writhing around experiencing in their minds psychically the pain of the people who are in there. Danny's even getting into it in this immense, ridiculous flower outfit she's wearing. And as everyone continues to wail, Danny looks up, defiant or triumphant, and then she smiles, like a genuine smile, and she's home. And that's the end of the movie. And there again, she had mental issues when she wasn't out. They seem to be gone. So... What's the interpretation? What, is it our culture causes those issues? Is it she was displaced and needed to be brought home? There's so many yeah. interpretations of it. And if I had to tell somebody what it was like, it's kind of like a demented children of the corn. Uh, you know, same basic idea. Yeah, it's funny you, you went that direction because I have in my notes, he cites all these movies that like influence him. And the one he doesn't mention is the wicker man, which this feels like the wicker man, like on steroids, right? Cause the wicker, the wicker man's one guy who shows up supposedly he's in this position of power. He thinks while he shows up and then in the end, it turns out he's not. And he was lured there here. You have, the same thing except nobody's going in thinking they have power they think they're coming in and sharing an experience and here they are the experience yeah it yeah it's to me it's kind of like the wicker man on steroids with a 
really a whole lot of overshot light <laughs> scenes, but right. But again, it's way open to interpretation, so I'm sure you can get different things out of it. To com- we we have oh, sure and. To say that it's like Wicker Man, I don't, that's not an insult. That's not me saying, hey, he just ripped Wicker Man off, because this is his very own separate thing entirely. But exactly. it's one of those kind of deals, everything, when you get reductiveness, when you get into this reductive mindset, almost every movie falls apart. Temple of uh, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones was in, immaterial to that movie. He makes no difference at all to the movie. It would play out exactly the same if he's in it or not. In this you could reductively say, yeah, it's the wicker man just with the bigger cast that doesn't take actually take away from the actual telling of it is by itself. No, exactly. Same with saying children of the corn. It's that religious overtones, the culture clash, what's right, what's wrong. That's really the core part of the story is what's similar there. It's how yeah. it's done in this movie that makes it so over the top. Yeah. With Astor's films, the devils are really in the details. Yeah, funny you use devil there, but okay. <laughs> I, this is the longest review we've had for any movie we've done. It's a long and movie. We've been dis- yeah, we've been discussing it. I don't know if we're going to do this as two things or we're going to make one supersized podcast with it. Who knows? I'm thinking two. Okay. Yeah. But I, it's, yeah, it's just how much stuff was crammed in this film. Yeah. Yeah. So what's next? What's on the agenda? Next, we have his house. It is a British film from 2016, easily found on Netflix. Unlike Midsummer, which you have to hunt down, you can easily watch His House with just your Netflix subscription. So we're going to enjoy that one too. Yeah. Oh, good. All right. I can't wait. I got to watch Heredity still so we can talk All about All right. That. You're going backwards. I want to know how it changes yeah. the experience. Right. Yeah. Maybe I should take something before I watch it. <laughs> that's always good advice yeah especially with this movie yeah (laughs) i can't imagine watching this movie high oh no (laughs) everything would be weird except all those places where they're stoned and then you're like oh that makes sense (laughs) yep all right man we'll talk all right see ya you have been listening to horror lasagna to see all of our seasons and listen to all of the movie reviews with all the themes for each season check out horrorlasagna.com. And if you like the podcast, like the movies and reviews, please give us a like, share with a friend, subscribe to our Facebook page, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, pass it along, let people know, tell us, hey, I liked it. That was a good movie. Thank you. We would appreciate it. Creature slips from perception. Pay attention. It will rise again.